Hi, Ellie. Hey, Chuck. Okay. So I'm excited about this podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about the impact of diet and nutrition on mental health and wellness. Yeah. You think that's a topic people can get into? I think it is huge right now. I think I can get into it. So many people don't realize, I think many people, maybe maybe many do, but uh, that what they eat has a direct impact on their mental state. Uh, in this podcast, we're going to talk about how can you how you can use food to improve your mood, increase your productivity, and boost your all, overall well being. In addition to other things, we'll also explore uh, some bigger issues around diet and eating disorders. Uh, but as we get into the heavy topics, I think we're going to lean in on our guest uh, Reba Sloan. She is a nutrition therapy and counseling expert and licensed registered dietitian. Uh, we'll put her link to the bio. And website so people can learn more and there's a lot more uh, but she is by far one of the most respected and experienced professionals on this subject 30 years in the making i'm sure and we'll talk to her real real shortly um how is your relationship with food yeah yeah i think that's my relationship yeah how is your how is your relationship with food it's good right now it has been in different places but mine's though. great yeah <laughs> You have a really I have a connection. superb I have a superb relationship with food. No, that is a that is it is an important question though. Yeah. And, and I think in terms but I'll be interested to hear what she thinks about that. Yeah. So, um cool. Hang tight. We'll be right back to talk to Reba. From our studios in Nashville, Tennessee, this is Healing Centers, a podcast where we talk to experts and leaders in wellness, mental health, physiology, fitness, nutrition, and any other topic that helps us get through the day with purpose and through our life with long-term success and health. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and please give us five stars wherever you listen to your podcast. Visit our website at www.healingcenters.co to share feedback, suggest future episode topics, and find out more about the people on our podcast. I think we need to have a live band play that next time, yeah. or at some point. Sounds like a good like restaurant. Yeah, that's definitely a restaurant thing. Definitely good. Um, Reba, welcome. Thank you very, very um, much so, for having me. I'm so glad you're here. Um, Let's see, Ali. I'm gonna let you get into the big stuff because you're professionally trained on this. But I'm gonna ask kind of a broad question. Okay. Can you just give me, um, and I've met you before, certainly, but can you just give me a primer on kind of your background and who you help, and and just a, a little bit more about your expertise for the people that um, you know don't know? Sure, sure. Well, I'll have to say uh, I'm a registered dietitian. I went, I, I went when I went back to get my master's degree. I got my Master's of Public Health and Health Promotion with an emphasis on behavioral counseling because I realized anytime you talk to someone about their food and eating, it, it, it is very, very personal. It's as personal as religion or politics, mm-hmm. and it's deep. And traditionally trained registered dietitians, even now, I'm sorry to say, are more trained uh, in just the realm of putting people on diets, which in the long term, can lead to many pitfalls. Uh, one, one for sure, being disordered eating and eating disorders. But even just the whole diet culture of of uh, food fears, good, bad, on, off, all or nothing, to the point that it really affects a person's quality of life, even if they do not have a diagnosed eating disorder. Mm-hmm. My background, uh, I grew up 
in the 60s when actually dieting started beginning in predominance. Some of the first diets, uh, liquid, uh, we had some liquid diets come out then. Of course, a lot of you may need to, to Google Twiggy and find out who she was, mm-hmm. but she was the, the first celebrity, if, if you want to call her that, um, to demonstrate that a female should look like an adolescent boy, actually. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it was a British music invasion. So we thought everything from England was it, and she was from England. And mm-hmm. uh, so I was an overweight child, and I, I snuck food because everybody was on me about my weight. Uh, and so I would hide it. And, of course, when you hide food, you're always going to eat when you're not hungry and overeat. But I went on my first diet at 13, and uh, it was a, you know, Atkins was, was around there then, believe it or not. It he, was. He um, actually had a brochure. Back then we had brochures uh, that I got my grimy little 13-year-old hands on. I'm sure it was my mom's. So I decided that I was going to go on my first diet, and my brain got hijacked, mm-hmm. uh, and I developed severe anorexia nervosa, almost died. Oh, no. And back then they didn't know what that was. Mm-hmm. Of course, I mean, we're talking the 60s. Uh, and, but that was uh, sort of, um, it was a God thing in, in a big picture of my life because that's where uh, I, I, got, I got overly interested in food and, uh, and overly obsessed about movement. Uh, and didn't, they didn't have much treatment back then. I was sent to Mayo Clinic Mm-hmm. Uh, by my pediatrician who knew nothing, but he found a paragraph, literally a little paragraph on anorexia nervosa. Mm. And he said, honey, I think this is what you have. He was like my second dad. He delivered me. He was my grandma's dad or a doctor. And so he was very concerned. And I was like, no, no, I just, I just don't want to be fat. And then in my head, I'm thinking, you've been on my on me my whole life about my weight. Shouldn't mm-hmm. you be happy about this? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they sh- shipped me to... Um, Mayo Clinic, and did all kinds of evaluations, and they sent me home. I still have the letter. Really? It says she should just go home and eat. And I'm sad to say that in the medical field, we really haven't progressed a whole lot further than that. Mm-hmm. In my estimation, pediatricians, gynecologists, they should be the experts in this arena. And so often eating disorders go undiagnosed, mm-hmm. missed, an athletic child who's starving themselves get pra- gets praise for uh, a low resting heart rate and versus saying, hmm, I wonder if there's something else going on here. So uh, that's a real long story. There actually is a podcast about my, that, I, that a dietitian did on my full journey. But um, in my healing, I... Never thought I'd want to treat eating disorders because I knew what a pistol I was. Mm-hmm. And, but uh, after I got out, out of my internship at Vanderbilt, and that was in the late 70s, that really was when we started talking about eating disorders. Mm-hmm. The word bulimia was first used in the late 70s, early 80s. And there was a therapist here in town, Gary White. She's still alive um, and living in the Franklin area. And she heard that I had, I was an R, not only an RD, but I'd had an eating disorder and recovered. She decided I should treat eating disorders. She decided I, that. I didn't decide. <laughs> she, just, she met with me one day and she said, I will supervise you. 
I will, you can use my office for free on weekends. At that time, I was working at a hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't want to work in a hospital. Didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I, I was, she took me under her wing, actually, mm -hmm. for about 10 years. And then I started pursuing my CEUs in uh, my, I really put the emphasis on developing my expertise in the field of eating disorders and, um, and really found that, that I, I feel like it was a calling. I could understand about that chaos in the head. And I, I could, I could blow my, you know, yeah, I love to blow teenagers' minds and I could actually tell them what they're thinking. Like, I, I know what was going on. And they're like, what? Um, so my own battle and recovery equipped me in many ways more than even any kind of professional training Interesting. to treating disorders. And, and I, I grew to have a, a real passion for it. And then um, uh, the Eating Disorders Coalition of Tennessee, which is now called Renewed, Ovidio and I developed that nonprofit here in town in uh, the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I still feel very uh, passionate about helping not only the people who are suffering from disordered eating and eating disorders, but the poor parents. I think what I put my parents through, but it's so hard on parents and in a very, and I don't mean any disrespect or dishonor for people who have developed other things, but I believe some of the parents I work with could handle hearing their child has cancer a lot easier than than thinking, wow, my child might have an eating disorder. Isn't that interesting? Um, if you say cancer, okay, what? Okay, what's our protocol? Are what are the do, steps? Yeah, chemo, radiation, mm -hmm. you know, and what's the timeline? You know, eating disorders and disordered eating, whole other story. And then, you know, I feel like for every one person we can keep from going on a diet, we just might keep them from getting an eating disorder. Mm. We don't know. We know a lot of what goes into the development of an eating disorder. We don't know all of it, but we know one thing for certain. I can't tell you maybe one or two people of thousands and thousands that I've worked with that their disordered eating and eating disorder didn't start with some sort of dietary restriction. Mm -hmm. And dietary restriction and restraint is seen as a badge of honor in our culture. Mm -hmm. Wow, I wish I could be as good as you. I... I wish I could uh, skip meals, and I wish I could cut out X, Y, or Z from my intake. And not everybody who diets gets a full-blown eating disorder, but it's sort of like very often it's the it's the ember that's mm -hmm. fanned, and you have a rip-roaring fire before you know it because they have all the other ingredients present. It's sort of like the perfect mm -hmm. storm. So I, I very much um, not only see myself as impassioned about eating disorder treatment and disordering, but just fighting the diet culture is so prevalent in our world. And It's a big money maker. Uh, it is. And with social media, I, I didn't have a lot of things to get misinformation from mm -hmm. when I was uh, you know, 13. But so many of, of the people I work with, including adults, come in with so much misinformation uh, even if it, it haven't had a full-blown eating disorder, but mm -hmm. misinformation that's con controlling their life and rules and regulations and uh, that they're walking a tightrope with. Mm. The whole good, bad, on, off, all or nothing way of thinking. Mm. That's a Gosh, long that's answer to that question. No, that's, that's a good so answer. Good. I was, couldn't keep up in my notes. I'm glad this is recorded. 
Um, I think that is such a perfect, what you were just talking about is one area that I'm super curious in is like, I feel like we are talking more, although not enough about how dieting is not good for us, not even just because it can potentially lead to these eating disorders, but because it does mess up our metabolism so much, all that it does brain to chemistry. our brain chemistry, yeah. um, the ability to stay balanced in your weight and all that long-term. But I also think we've learned a lot about how important good foods are. And so I think sometimes it can feel hard to figure mm-hmm. out how to find that balance between mm-hmm. not encouraging dieting but maybe encouraging good food choices or, you know, um, or even just for yourself when you notice body changes, you know, it's, you're kind of prone to look for a diet and a quick fix. But even if you're trying really hard to stay in just maybe better eating habits, it can still, I worry sometimes that it can still lead to something like that. So how do you have those conversations about? Yeah not just eating cookies all day long or, you know, that that actually isn't good either. Well, there's uh, there's no denying we don't want to stick our head in the, in the sand about nutrition. Mm-hmm. And there's no denying that certain foods score higher. The way I look at it is they score higher nutritionally than others. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. Uh, and I try to get, stay away from categorization of good food, bad food, mm-hmm. but think of it more as a gradient. And... Um, you know, certain foods might score higher. Let's say at the lunch I eat today scored lower because, man, I was really want, wanting uh, some uh, hamburger and some fries. Mm-hmm. Now, in the all or nothing thinking, I think, well, I've blown my day. Or, mm-hmm. shoot, I might even think I've blown my week or my month, mm-hmm. depending on how perfectionistic I am and mm-hmm. obsessive. But if we think of it as, all right, and I think if we learn to trust our body, our bodies generally would lead us towards something a bit lighter tonight. Hmm. There's a term in intuitive eating called habituation. <clears throat> and what that means in that realm, when we take foods off the bad list and say, you know, unless you steal it, <laughs> yes. you know, food is not a moral or an ethical issue. One of my uh, clients who's an attorney caught me on that one one day. I said, there are no bad foods. And she goes, unless you steal it. And I'm like, Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's not a moral or an ethical issue. And in our culture, food is very much talked about in terms of mm-hmm. morality and, oh, you're so good today. And oh, you are you mm-hmm. bad today? And just think what that does to our self-esteem. Mm-hmm. When we let what we ate for lunch make us feel like we we're a bad person. Mm-hmm. And people who don't have eating disorders even can, can be thinking that way. So uh, my favorite oxymoron is structured flexibility. And uh, I, I think when we consider those terms, you you think, well, I want some guidelines and goals and and no generalities I'm aiming for, but not feeling like I have to walk a tightrope. Mm-hmm. Many of my clients who have disordered eating and eating disorders have other issues like hypercholesterolemia or insulin resistance, diabetes. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> that tap dance is very interesting. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how do we address these issues that are definitely connected with your dietary intake without you flipping over into the whole diet 
mm-hmm. way of thinking of it. Mm-hmm. And so very often I, I think I tell them, think of it as going for a, a good average. Mm-hmm. My perfectionists hate the word average. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I try to get them used to that term. Mm-hmm. Uh, structured flexibility, let's go with some goals and guidelines, which if you look at re- what's recommended to fight heart disease, cancer, stroke, if you look at the general guidelines, uh, they don't have conf- conflict with each other and they have no rules. Mm-hmm. Fewer processed foods. Mm-hmm. Now, if we have that obsessive thinking or perfectionistic, we might take it to, well, then I can't eat any processed food. Mm-hmm. Um, fewer try to increase the fiber intake in the food that you eat well if you eat fewer processed foods you're going to start eating more fiber Hmm. now that that lends towards blood sugar stabilization and satiety Mm -hmm. uh, also fights inflammation which you know when we think about health we know that inflammation can contribute to all kinds it's of like things. Like everything. everything. I feel like we keep seeing that yes. as the answer lately. Yes. So blood sugar stabilization is is a good theme. Mm-hmm. It's a good theme. Um, so pushing the fiber, trying to get more of the deeply colored fruits and vegetables to increase antioxidants, uh, get movement in your life. And a lot of my clients think movement means I have to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. But also not being all or nothing with that. That was going to be one of my other questions is I think, oh, I have like two right now, but (laughs) I'm reminding (laughs) myself I can ask them. One at a time. I don't have to choose. So um, I guess the first one kind of uh, intertwines with what I was about to ask you, so I'll ask both. I think something I struggle with as a parent, I'm raising young kiddos. Our oldest is about to be 16, but our youngest is seven. Mm -hmm. And our seven-year-old, she eats terrible. She always chooses low scoring food. food. Yes, low scoring food on the gradient scale. And I think we have really, my husband talks to her more about proteins and trying a different fruit and all that. I feel so reserved about that because I don't want her to have this negative concept. But how early do you think these conversations start um, appropriately in a home? And I think that's a great way to describe it kind of that gradient scale. And I think teaching kids to trust their bodies feels harder to me sometimes to trust that process. I can with a teenager and an adult, but I think if my son trusted his body, he'd eat bags of chips all day and say he felt fine. For so, a while. Yeah, that's but, true. You know, children, younger, the younger children are more intuitive. Hmm. And um, until they get told certain foods are bad or... You know, Interesting. That. Um there's a so you would start even at a young age with trust uh, yes, your body yes huh. uh, because what they're going to hear in school will be about dieting hmm. I mean I have had children your daughter's age come into my office I remember one in particular um, she had such a fear of fatness I remember she pulled her legs up in, a, in under her chin in a chair in my office and started screaming. I don't want to be fat. I don't want to be fat. Mm. Uh, there had been some, you know, there's so many silly documentaries out there, and they'd shown something at school mm. that was very fat phobic. Mm. This, this young girl was not even an overweight child. Um, and they're going to hear it in school. Mm-hmm. So starting early, there's, there, there are, um, there's an author, Ellen, E-L-L-Y-N, 
Satter, S-A-T-T as in Tom, E-R, who's written a lot on raising children with healthy attitudes mm. about food and eating. And she's mm. a registered dietitian and a therapist. Mm. I don't like the title of this book. I'm just going to preface that. But it's called How to Get Your Kid to Eat But Not Too Much. You can see why I don't like the title. Yeah. yeah. But it talks about, it goes from cradle to sending them to college. Hmm. That's awesome. And it talks about what are some of the ways you can help your child be thoughtful about their choices without, it talks about how do you prevent dieting. Um, I always say our goal is to be thoughtful and aware and not obsessive and anxious. (laughs) I literally put it on, uh, I put it on mute, but it didn't take. That I was, thought that was our new commercial. That was mine. I got, I thought, that, was nice that was mine. Yeah, I was like, wow, I guess you're going to make so, Reba stop talking sorry. here, Chuck. I might have to edit after all. <laughs> I apologize. No, I think that's great. Um, no, that's so good. I mean, I think, and I think that, again, is such a countercultural thing yeah. that we're getting, I do think we're growing in mindfulness, mm-hmm. but not where I wish we would be with that. But I think as life has increased, as mm-hmm. expectations on you know, high school kids of sports yes. and um, how much can get done off of a phone versus having to write a paper out, all those things. I think it is more and more uncomfortable to learn thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I, I I believe one thing that people can do with their children and teens is try to say, when we eat, we eat. Let's put, And then you have to model that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, let's put the phones away. Let's turn the, the computers and TVs off. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to hear your body hunger, craving, satisfied signals when you're distracted. Mm-hmm. And intuitive eating talks a lot about honoring your signals. Well, you can't honor them if you can't hear them. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I, I do think that's a good point. Our harried, uh, multitasking way of life, mm-hmm. I believe, has contributed to a lot of disconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and one of the, one of the, uh, principles Ellen Satter talks about is parents being in charge of what's in the home, what's offered Mm -hmm. for meals and snacks. But, um, if the child chooses not to eat it, you know, they choose not to eat it. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting to have a variety like, well, today we're going to have, um, uh, let's say chips and dip. For our snack, mm-hmm. and then the next day, you say, well, "We're going to have apples and peanut butter today," mm-hmm. and, and so that you're not elevating the chips and dip by calling it bad because mm-hmm. you know, your son would want to eat it all day if you like, now you should yes, never eat it exactly. But um, and, and explaining that you know we're trying to go for this you know nutrition average that's. Is we're going to keep being thoughtful about that, and chips would fall into the processed category. Mm-hmm. So we'd say, mm-hmm. "Hey, those are that's a category of food we're trying to to eat less of." But hey, let's see what we can do to increase. I feel like sometimes thinking about what you need to increase in your dietary intake for your health and well being is a much healthier way than thinking about what do I need to exact. That's a mm-hmm. good point. So yeah, what we need to we know we. Or some more raw vegetables around because I think if we kept them around, we might be more likely to munch on them mm-hmm. and talk about it as a family mm-hmm. commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, even when you're 
eating out, sometimes you choose a fast food and then sometimes you you don't. But mm-hmm. you're mixing it up so that, you know, I, I, I became rebellious about mm-hmm. eating. That's one thing that continued my weight increase before I developed anorexia nervosa uh, because they were trying to keep certain things away from me. I remember I was getting ready to get some cream cheese. I was just going to get a little cream cheese on a cracker. And my mom said something like, Reba, do you really need that? And I immediately felt shame and guilt. Mm -hmm. I wrapped the cream cheese back up, Mm. put it in the fridge. But as soon as my parents were out of sight, I took that whole block of cream cheese and went in my bedroom and crammed the whole block of cream cheese Mm -hmm. in my mouth. Mm -hmm. Now, wouldn't it have been better off if I had a little cream cheese on some crackers? Mm -hmm. And my parents would say, oh, that's... You know, that, that's a good snack, you know. Uh, and then I think the other thing you can do with children is start helping them realize what's hunger and what's not. Mm-hmm. So if a child gets up from lunch on a Saturday and they go out for an hour in the yard or they go and watch some show or something, and they come back in an hour and say, you start rummaging in the kitchen, I think it's fine to say, hey, what's up? You know, we just ate about an hour ago. Are you hungry? Mm-hmm. Most of the kids I work with that are, I would say, at least 10 and above, tell me they know when they're yeah. <laughs> bored and when they're, you know, I, I was upset. My friend said this or that. And mm-hmm. I just, all I could think of is I wanted to eat. Blah, blah, blah. And that's a good time to just, well, let's just talk about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, food's not going to cure that. And mm-hmm. you've, you've told me you're not really hungry. So let's see what else is going on. Mm-hmm. So, so I think asking those questions about, you know, are you hungry if you notice it's only been a short time? And um, Ellen Satter recommends having structured time for snacks. I don't know if I'd go completely that far, but if you find you have a child that wants to nibble all the time, I think it might be good to say, well, you know, snack time's in an hour. We just had lunch an hour ago, so mm-hmm. an hour we'll have snack time. So why don't you, you know, go jump some rope? or Yeah, go play. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> do, so, do something. Okay, can I ask one? Yeah. So that inspired me. Your question inspired me. Oh, no. Because my world, um, clearly, I'm slightly older than Allie, just slightly. Yeah, just, and just slightly. But um, but talk, talking about um, um, diet and nutrition uh, at an older age mm-hmm. and, and or a different life uh, cycle, uh, I'm, I'm really interested in the intuitive signal mm-hmm. uh, concept because that actually really speaks to me. Um, I've never liked diets, but I have certainly, you know, had some success taking on some sort of diet of some sort. I don't know. But what is your, um, and I think I'm talking about not necessarily eating disorders, but just uh, just proper uh, weight management. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're mm-hmm. very, very fit and trim. But uh, a lot of people, including me, you know, as you get older, it's a little bit easier to keep on pounds and things like that. Or, uh, you know, what do you, how do you help or advise people um, who may not have an eating disorder, but might want to really start looking at mm-hmm. how do I lose weight? How do I properly do that? Mm-hmm. Or how do I change my life or relationship with food to do that? You I know, that kind of thing. that's the key. What's that? Changing things. Not, not going on a diet. Um, we know that diets have a 95 to 97% failure rate. Is that right? And even if you don't call it a diet, like if you said, oh, starting Monday, I think I'm going to cut out this and mm-hmm. I really, but you know, I really, if I really love 
this, whatever this is, that's not going to be a lifestyle change. Um, so I, I, often I ask clients, what, what is your perspective as to if you think your body weight is a little higher than it needs to be? And sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they just perceive that their weight is higher than it needs to be, or sometimes some doctor has told them that it is. Yep. Um, but if you do believe that, what do you think some of the contributing factors are? And people have a lot of insight. Well, They, they know what they're eating yeah, or not eating. And why they're eating. Mm-hmm. I remember I had a client that had moved here from Europe, Italy, actually. And uh, she moved here to practice medicine at Vanderbilt. And she came to see me two years after she'd been here. And she came in and she goes, Reba, there has got to be something going on in my body. Uh, in two years, I've gained 40 pounds. I just don't get it. Uh, and I said, well, what changed two years ago? And she just stopped and she said, you know what? Before I moved here, I literally was walking everywhere I went. Mm. Now I get in a car, I drive to work, and I'm there. And I get in the car and drive home. And then she said, American portions. She said, we really do eat pasta every it's, day. Yeah. But she said, it's what an American would call a side portion. She said, I've just kind of adopted American portions. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I ask my clients that, sometimes they'll tell me, you know, my job's a lot more sedentary now. I used to be an athlete. Oh, I have so many clients who were athletic in high school and college. And, you know, as life gets more complex, as we all know, uh, sometimes you can't pull off what you used to pull off. Right. And the all or nothing thing would be going, well, I guess I'll just throw it all out the window. Versus saying, okay, what could you do? Well, I, I think I could do some walking. Uh, I think I could, I could do that. I, in fact, I have a free membership at the Y. I think I've seen some classes that look kind of interesting. And when they take it out of, if you make exercise slash activity just about weight, at some point you'll hate it. Well, isn't it, isn't it true? I'm sorry, isn't it true that um, your food intake uh, – and maybe I'm way off base here, so correct me, uh, has more to do with your weight than exercise. Obviously, they both have impact. I I would say in a sedentary culture like ours, Mm -hmm. activity has nearly as much to do Ah, with weight. Interesting. And um, now if we're talking about a different way of living, but as people get older, they tend to get less active. Yeah. Even if you think about walking on a college university campus to getting a job less active oh i've got more expendable income i think i'll hire my lawn mode uh i think i'll hire somebody to clean my house i mean even just day-to-day activity gets taken away i was an overweight kid but man i rode my bike i walked to school now you sound really yeah in 10 feet of snow i walked (laughs) um, uphill both ways yes, yes that ages me but uh it's i think it's it's a blend and by the way activity actually helps connect us with hunger, craving, satisfied, full. And um, I tell my clients, I think there are two major categories, triggers for non-hunger eating. There are three total, I think two major. So if you think about when you're trying to make changes with your food, let's say you think, wow, my weight is inching up. First one is emotional. And I happen to believe our emotional relationship with food begins at birth. Baby cries, diaper dri- diapers dry, 
well, let's feed the baby. Yep. Um, I was, <laughs> even though my parents were on me about my weight, if I had a bad day at school, it wasn't let's talk about it. It was, hey, a bowl of ice cream will make mm. you feel better. Mm. So a lot of my clients, when I ask them causative factors that they can name, will say, name some emotions, it, procrastination, stress, boredom. Yeah. The second one is environment, and that could be portions. For me, it's a basket of chips at a Mex- Mexican restaurant. All of a sudden, I forget I'm actually going to have a meal. Um, I just tie into those chips and mm-hmm. salsa because they're there. And I have to say, come on, Reba. They're there, they're fast, too. Have y'all they're noticed fast. that? <laughs> I mean, by the time you oh. sit down, that chip it I mean, is right there. It lands. So I just, I don't say, Reba, you can't have chips. I said, why don't you wait for your meal? <laughs> you have chips with mm-hmm. your meal, and you can enjoy that. And uh, I'm not saying I don't ever tie in sure because I do. But I remind myself I'm going to have a meal. I do think American portions are um, have expanded. I heard a plate maker talk one time. He said I had to get rid of my molds for regular plates and get platter molds. And I do when you go out to a restaurant, you notice that. So I think uh, environment could be that. It could be let's say I've got grapes on my counter. I'm going well. Grapes are healthy, but let's say I work from home, and every day. All day, as I go through the kitchen, I grab a few grapes. Mm-hmm. And I tell myself, they're grapes. But that's non-hunger eating. Mm-hmm. That's like your gas tank being full and you pull up to the station. Of course, you wouldn't these days, right? Unless you saw a big <laughs> gas war going on. And you say, I'm going to put some more gas in it. No, the tank's full. So um, environment can be any of that. And then the third one is social or interpersonal. Interesting research has shown often we eat more in social gatherings, unless you have a, it's like some of my clients will quote unquote behave. They're trying to look good in social gatherings. Yep. And they'll go home and binge. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's a social pressure. Even I have clients who work in offices where there's a lot of social pressure to eat when they're not hungry. So I think of it, Chuck, more as a skill development, like learning to play tennis or learning to play guitar. Is how do I manage the triggers or challenges in my life? that might have contributed to my weight being at a higher point. Is it, is it also a knowledge of the different foods or food categories, if you will, that, that I, most, cert- most or how clients, do we talk about the gradient of, yeah, of quality yeah, of food? Quality, you know, a calorie is a calorie, though. So if I'm doing non-hunger eating on grapes, it's the same as if I were doing non-hunger eating on chips. Now, granted, chips don't score as high nutritionally as grapes, but... Non-hunger eating is non-hunger eating. Calories are calorie, but they have different nutritional values depending on. And I do think most of my clients are pretty well-versed. Even my clients who diet, they they can repeat what I tell them. I mean, I have physicians as clients. I have registered dietitians as clients. I have a ton of nurses as clients. I think they have a lot of head knowledge, but you know what? I think sometimes they don't have the skill to translate that head knowledge into what does that look like in my day-to-day life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is why my master's is in behavioral counseling and not in nutrition. I figure, I figure most of my clients have enough nutrition knowledge. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, some of it is, needs tweaking and is a little distorted, but I think they need more help with the application of their knowledge very often than just extra knowledge. To me, nutrition is simple. Can I ask a question about that? Mm-hmm. I loved you said a few minutes ago, um, foods don't cure that. Mm-hmm. 
I think that there is more development through science in this these last few years. That I don't know if I would say food food cures things, but we've learned a lot more about yeah. what it does for us. Dopamine and yeah. yeah. Can you talk about that for a little bit? I think anytime I've started to research it, it feels like I'm going into a mm-hmm. black hole mm-hmm. and I'm like learning little bits, but I get so overwhelmed, I kind of shut off. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think that goes. It's a weird thing, but I think it's I connected. To that hectic lifestyle we just talked about. Hmm. Living in Nashville, as you might guess, I've worked with a ton of creative people. Mm-hmm. And some and, and, and creative people feel their emotions intensely. That's what f- fuels creativity. Mm-hmm. Not to be too stereotypical here, but they do. And mm-hmm. so when they're in their creative element, they're lighting up their dopamine part of their brain. Hmm. Their happy place. Mm-hmm. And I have, I can think of about 10 right now off the top of my head that when they went into compulsive eating, binge eating, emotional eating, it was when they were in a downtime with their creativity. Mm. Now, let's just take that for an average person like myself who's not a creative. Uh, I think as we get busy, we get into adulting, as they say, we drop things that perhaps used to nurture us, mm. used to light up our dopamine part. Yeah. Um, I went back to playing guitar six years ago after dropping it when I had anorexia nervosa at 13. I remember nothing. I had My husband's like, you don't even remember one chord. I'm like, no, <laughs> not even one chord. But I, it started, I started thinking about how much I loved music and guitar, and, and mm-hmm. I went back to that. One of my clients, and she's in her 50s. She's recovering from binge eating disorder, and she used food for her emotions. She knew mm-hmm. she did. She shocked me over Christmas break. She took up crocheting. Hmm. Now, she's the last person in the world that I would have ever thought would be into crocheting. She's a, a really cerebral accountant. Wow. She's been sending me pictures of her things she's making. Now she's selling them. I'm wow. Like, hey, you're getting your retirement ready. Yeah. So I think uh, food does change our brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. We're, and we're supposed to enjoy food. Mm-hmm. It's just when that becomes our major source of enjoyment, coping. Mm-hmm. That's when we get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my clients have dropped other things because they got busy. Yeah. And when they go back to um, doing things they used to enjoy or taking up new new hobbies, I, I know that's an old-fashioned word now, but interests, they, do, they develop other interests. It's amazing what it can do to, to lessen their dependency on food. Hmm. Now, that's not to say they'll never, ever again eat due to emotions or unless they're hungry. Mm-hmm. That would be a diet or a rule. Mm-hmm. But if you back off using food to light up that dopamine part of your brain mm-hmm. and you don't put positive things up there, you're going to flip back over to it. And by the way, same goes with restriction. Mm-hmm. We know that dieting and restricting can change brain chemistry and can put a lot, like a lid, so to speak, on some anxiety and stress. Mm-hmm. And so it serves, all disordered eating behaviors serve purposes or we wouldn't pick them up. Mm-hmm. So part of dealing with that is figuring out how do I get those needs met mm-hmm. in, a, in a more appropriate way. And uh, you know, research shows even listening to music we like lights up the dopamine part of our brain. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I, I so feel you like that's part of it. So you wouldn't necessarily encourage someone 
if they're struggling with depression or anxiety to um, really focus on foods that are in that higher gradient because that's more of a restrictive. You know, I think encourage them. Optimizing our nutritional intake can help anything we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So certainly encourage them to think about that. Mm -hmm. But to be cautious about falling into a rule-driven approach. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, if that's that whole, let's be thoughtful and aware and not obsessive and anxious. Mm-hmm. And they they need a lot of reminding about that because mm-hmm. they can flip into that. So I, I think it's a, a, an appropriate thing. Talk about blood sugar stabilization even. Mm-hmm. Appropriate mm-hmm. if they're dealing with depression or anxiety to say, you know, maybe sometimes they're not eating enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of the University of Minnesota's uh, study on semi-starvation. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. Um, the original report's a thousand pages, so wow, uh, ouch! I, I have a yeah. five-page we'll summary. Her, I was about I to say email. we'll let her I give us a, a summary. I have here. a five-page summary. I can email you, but basically, uh, Ansel Keys wanted to find out what happens to a brain when it's not getting enough food, and he actually did it on conscientious objectors to World War II. And he gathered 200 and something guys, screened them for depression, anxiety, OCD behaviors, and got, I'm, I'm going to say the most normalized pool of guys he could get. Mm-hmm. I think it was 31, 32 guys. Mm-hmm. He put them in a restricted place. It was um, done at the University of Minnesota. I think they, their, their lab was under the bleachers on the football field, if my memory serves me correctly, and told them, you may not eat one thing we don't give you only what we give to you when we give it to you. And within just a couple of days, these guys were so obsessed about food and eating, they were hoarding cookbooks and recipes. Wow. Now, this was the 40s. I doubt they'd ever touched a cookbook or recipe. Yeah, yeah. But these guys who'd been screened for depression, anxiety, OCD, they started demonstrating these behaviors Mm -hmm. and in thoughts. Mm -hmm. Some of them had to be put on tranquilizers. So I do think that it, it helps to look at nutritional intake, but not just from what things do you need to cut back on, but maybe they go too long without eating. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're being too uh, OCD-ish, I'm going to use that word, mm-hmm. about what they're, they're choosing. They're choosing foods maybe that don't, that don't give them pleasure. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're choosing foods they think they need to eat that. So... Absolutely, it, it, many of my clients who deal with eating disorders and disordered eating suffered from depression and anxiety and OCD even prior to their eating disorder mm-hmm. diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have clients that I deal with that are, you know, they, they do have depression, anxiety, no eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And we talk about how does your nutrition, how can it help you, assist you, mm-hmm. but do it in a in a very non-rule-driven way. In fact, I have all my clients read intuitive eating no matter what their deal is, and it's the concept is does not fit within our culture, and I have a lot of clients who've read the book and go, it doesn't make any sense to me. And that's why when I work with them, I, I'm a certified intuitive eating counselor too. Um, I break it down, and I'm like, we're going to read one chapter at a time, and we're going to stop, and mm-hmm. we're going to see how that fits into your life. But, um, yeah, I absolutely do believe it bears, it bears bringing up. 
Yeah. But you just have to monitor how you bring it up. It's a balance. Yeah. yeah. Structured flexibility. Rita, it feels like a lot of people listening would be fascinated with your skills and experience and a little bit irritated that that their quick fix may not be the right thing. I know. I have clients come in and beg me for rules. I'm like, well, you've done that before. How did it work? Oh, what's the definition of insanity again? Yeah, right. Um, right. A lot of my clients want rules, but when I remind them, let's go back over that diet history again. I mean, I have clients that are in their 40s and 50s that have spent over half their life dieting. Ugh. cyclically, you know, uh, restrict, compulse, restrict, compulse. And so, yes, I think we would all like quick fixes to our problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think that skill development angle helps my clients be patient hmm. because we all realize that with skill development, we may not like it, but, you know, we're, we keep progressing. And then some, some weeks, like some weeks I'll play a certain – song on my guitar and even my husband will say you know last week i think you were playing that a little better (laughs) thanks for that reminder (laughs) thank you but that is skill development Mm -hmm. you know certainly an argument is uh, the skill development versus the quick fix diet um would manifest to a longer success uh, uh, versus clearly in in any sort of fad diet yeah it's no no finish line mm -hmm. to me pursuing this all these things we're talking about to me this is a lifelong commitment mm-hmm. and it doesn't end till they throw you in the grave mm-hmm. and a lot of my clients so you lose 20 pounds but then you now what yeah right right and, you know and, and our culture tells us weight loss always equals a better life mm-hmm. and we all know better than that because we have gone through it or we've seen other people go through it um and so you know, to to get people off the diet merry-go-round and away from desiring rules and quick fixes, man, you know that's motivational interviewing at at, at its best mm-hmm. because that's that's a hard. You know, where, you know where losing weight helps is um, athletics. Like, I, I bike, and that is like carrying an extra twenty pound weight on your back. Do, you can you can tell a difference, and it's very motivating to keep that off Mm -hmm. uh you know as uh, long as that loss was due to making changes that you can live with the rest of your life that's fair Mm -hmm. and if not you're going to gain it back yeah you know even no matter how good it feels um so that's what i ask my clients like okay so if if what do you want to tweak that you think you can live with and what you can i assist you with in doing that and actually um, I use an app that's a cognitive behavior therapy app I don't use an app that counts anything interesting because so many of my clients even when they don't have eating disorders they're so perfectionistic and you know this app makes them think oh yeah I was standing at the counter while I ate that I didn't Mm -hmm. even taste that Mm -hmm. no matter no no wonder I went back and got seconds and thirds Mm -hmm. or it, it asked what their emotions were I have clients that swear up and down they never emotionally eat, and they'll keep that app for a week, and they'll come in and go, man, was I wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, So many things we do with food and eating are autopilot. Mm -hmm. And so increasing awareness, like if Chuck, by by being more thoughtful and realizing, yeah, you know, that one snack I get before I go to bed, that's just habit. Right. 
I can live with or boredom that. or, or boredom. Mm-hmm. I'm connecting that with working on the computer that's autopilot you know one of the principles of intuitive eating is to not feel deprived so if I can drop that and not feel deprived and that's a change I'll live with mm-hmm. that's a um, great question can I drop that and not feel deprived mm-hmm. yeah I, I I don't have a sweet tooth I have a salt fat tooth um <laughs> So if you told me I could never have fried food again, you know, I would cry. Uh, but if you said, you know, you can never have dessert again, I'd go, well, that's just no biggie. That's no big deal. Um, right. So you you think about choosing foods that you enjoy. And um, uh, certainly the nutrition quotient we're talking about. But if you're making yourself eat a salad when you really want something else, I'm going to bet my bottom dollar you're going to grab something in the afternoon or evening mm-hmm. uh, that might score lower nutritionally when you just should have had the whatever at lunch that you really want. Mm-hmm. Now, next week you might say, no, what I really want is this food that scores higher nutritionally. And that's the thing that people don't get. What we do does not have to be set in stone. Mm-hmm. One day for lunch I might want something fried but if we go that concept of habituation, once I tell myself, you can have fried food anytime you want, well, it's like second or third day, I'd be going, uh. You know, even as much, much. as much as I love fried food, mm-hmm. I'd be going, okay. I think I've, that's, I, that's the way I am with Mexican food. Love it, love it, love it, crave it. We go get it, my husband and I, and we both, as we're walking to the parking lot, we'll go, whew, that was good, but that, yeah. will, that will do me for I'm, a I'm while. I'm done. Yes. That right. will do yes. me for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's, a, it's an interesting thing to explore when you just tell yourself, you can, you can eat what you want, but check in what's behind it. Think about balancing out, maybe up in your nutrition quotient, but don't outlaw anything. Mm-hmm. Don't outlaw it. Just, you know, and, and I think if we take weight and put it on the back burner, I'm not foolish enough to think everybody can take any concern about weight off the burner. But when it's on the front burner... Mm-hmm. That puts exercise, nutrition, everything we do, we make it just about weight, and we're not going to do it for the rest of our life. If we put it on the back burner and put our health and well-being, activity is self-care. Um, if we put our health and well-being, mental health, emotional health, physical health, on that front burner, generally the weight follows suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't weigh myself, and to, my doc weighs me when I have a physical. And uh, my my lifestyle, my coming out of anorexia nervosa and finding that middle ground, my weight's been the same for for decades. And when I say the same, most people have a three to five pound fluctuation. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I had a telehealth visit yesterday, and the nurse who's setting it up, she goes. What did, what did you weigh today? I said, excuse me? And she said, you didn't weigh yourself today? I said, no, I don't weigh myself. She said, what? <laughs> and uh, I, I said, when I come in for a physical, I do. And uh, she said, well, would you go grab a scale and weigh yourself? And I'm like, no. What's that have to do with with, yeah. with, with what we're talking about mm-hmm. here? Um, so... I think focusing on the scale and the weight can actually be a pitfall. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not, I'm not saying you, you you can just totally, you know, throw it out the window, but not putting it on the front burner. Interesting. I feel like she's 
you could keep going on this, couldn't you? you could I really have, could. I you know. could have a series of 10 episodes just on this. Yeah, gosh, I've learned so I kind much of feel like I'm babbling, but as you can here. tell, I get no, kind of excited about it. you haven't. This. It's been perfect. It's I really interesting. I've written a book Yeah, and just here. listening to you, just the mindset, you know, because, oh, it's keto, it's paleo, it's Mediterranean. No, wait a second, hold on. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's not the way to look at it. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. Mm-hmm. It's it hard, is. It's hard to switch gears like that. It is very hard. <clears throat> but that's where that skill development comes mm-hmm. in is that it can be hard but be patient. it's being patient with it i just love that it's a skill development and i think this some of the energy um i don't know what this is in your brain but i think there's definitely an energy that comes from saying i'm going to do this diet mm-hmm. it does yeah and it, so it, i think if you can channel that into i'm going to develop this skill mm-hmm you can still have the same amount of commitment and buy-in to it. It's just transitioning it to another, like, focus and vision. Yes, just, you know, I have, like, um, I have clients that say, you know, I don't eat any meals at my table, Mm -hmm. uh, dining room table. I'm going to start, let's start trying two to to three nights a week. Mm -hmm. And then they feel accomplished. They're like, wow, Mm -hmm. we went from never doing it to two to three nights a week and they realized I was so much more in tune with what I was eating and Hmm. you know connecting with family or friends Mm -hmm. Um, it makes them want to keep working on that Mm -hmm. or same thing with activity if you say I'm going to go to the gym every day and you don't pull that off you're going to get down on yourself and you're not going to do anything Mm -hmm. but if you start well you know what I could do a 15 minute walk three times a week you feel accomplished and Mm -hmm. a lot of times you'll be out there for 15 minutes and they go, you know what, I, I feel pretty good. I think I'm going to go for 30. You do more. That's yeah. right. So mm-hmm. I think making goals that that are uh, challenging but yet not overwhelming. Achievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you feel overwhelmed, you probably set your goal too high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh, that's so good. I still have questions, but I'm going to pause here on my end, or I would go for hours. Do you have anything I think else I think we would. Me? I think the, the best case, let me go ahead and first, thanks, Reba. You're so welcome. You're, you're amazing, and we'll put some resources and links in there. And one thing I'll talk to Allie about, or talk to everybody about, is uh, we're supposed to do a new commercial for us, which we didn't do, mm-hmm. which, so that's bad. <laughs> so we need to do better on that. But one of the things the commercial is going to say is we've created a new, uh, sort of find a therapist or find an expert on our website. And so that's where we can put our favorite uh, people in the community. So anybody can find them. Yeah, and, and most so, trusted, I think. Most trusted, most experienced. And so Reba, with your permission, we'd like to add you sure. as well. And yeah. so people can find yeah, that. There's a lot of things that you mentioned that I think, <laughs> including me, would like to dig a little bit deeper into books, resources, and things yeah. like that. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah. My, my website, I try to put make it very just informative it's just rebuslownutrition.com good and i am on instagram even though i as i said i'm technically a technology challenged and you're a social media star yes. reba ramblings oh, uh, I love that. and if you go in the archive you will actually find me pick up my guitar and i wrote two diet protest songs like bob dylan oh my so goodness so if you go into the archives you they're very like i think we should i think she needs to bring a guitar next time she uh, totally we do does. maybe that should be one of our commercials <laughs> we do we do songs. artists we do artists on this podcast we yeah. do that uh, all right that so amazing thank you thanks so much, so much. an honor to be with you no thank you for having we'll me. do that and ali the intuitive signals mm-hmm. i have right now you need uh, to go eat. I am yes. And is anybody are you thinking about food after this? I find oh, myself yeah. thinking but but I am thinking about okay, yes, I'm hungry, but I gotta do it right. Okay, so 
or yeah. just on your gradient, where are you today? Doesn't have to chicken be salad. Right. There you go. Chicken, <laughs> chicken salad. Chicken salad. Right. I can already I can already feel it. I can already feel it. Thanks, right. Reed. But we're going to sign All off. Right. I appreciate it. We invite you to become part of our growing Healing Centers community. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Visit us at healingcenters.co for the most current social links and information. Share comments and feedback on our website. Let us know what topics interest you and what guests you want us to invite on the show. If you are in the healing business as a therapist, doctor, or other wellness expert, please let us know who you are and your specialty. We'd love to be able to connect our listeners to great professionals like you. www.healingcenters.co Follow us, join us, and grow with us.